1: I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. And it could be another rough ride as stocks look to open lower again as economic fears spook investors. Mortgage rates jumping to their highest level in 13 years. We'll tell you what this could mean for buyers, sellers, and the broader American economy. Money losing Uber, cutting even more costs. The company's CEO is telling staff hiring will be treated as a privilege. Bringing the metaverse to reality. Facebook opening its first physical store this week, where you can test out what the fake world is like. And your daily RBI is back, and you'll need this one, because it has some good news for many of you investors out there. Happy Monday. It is May 9th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Great to be back with you. And wow, let's get right to it now, because it could be another tough day, and there is a lot of nervousness out there as stocks just keep taking hits. And right now, stock futures, they are, I'm sorry to say, down across the board. Dow futures down more than 300. NASDAQ once again looking to take the biggest hit, that future, down by more than 1.5%. Now, the big catalyst this week will be a lot of talk from various Federal Reserve officials and investors will be listening closely for any clues about possible changes to their aggressive rate hike and winding down the balance sheet strategy. All this coming off some big drops in stocks late last week, with the Nasdaq ending the week down more than one and a half percent, its fifth consecutive week of declines, marking the longest weekly losing streak in 10 years. All this as bond yields surge to multi-year highs and bonds continue to get dumped. And we are seeing 10-year yields up again. They are now about 3.15%. By the way, this is also spiking mortgage rates with the average 30-year fixed rate mortgage at 5.27%. And that is the highest level since all the way back in 2009, 13 years ago, folks. What about the energy complex? Certainly that has been a major part of the inflation story. We've seen oil Down a little bit right now, down 1% to 108.42, still far away from low, but maybe more importantly is natural gas. It is up this morning. It is above eight bucks continuously. It is at 8.15 dollars. This certainly is going to jack up the cost of really everything, particularly electricity prices for the summer. So just keep in mind, sort of the overall cost of energy is a lot more controlled by natural gas in many ways than it is by oil. And in the crypto market, it was a tough weekend. Remember, that market really never closes. Saw a lot of selling over the weekend. And right now, more red on the screen. We're seeing Bitcoin and Ether and the other major coins. They're all down again. Bitcoin down more than $1,200. And like I said, that is on top of some sizable drops over the weekend. As we saw, I don't want to call it capitulation, but certainly there was a lot of selling. We're seeing Ether down nearly 5% as well. Bitcoin at 31600 So... That's what's happening here. But this show is called Worldwide Exchange for a reason. It is seen all over the globe. So why don't we find out how the rest of the world is doing today? Overnight in Asia, the Japanese Nikkei 225 dropping by 2.4%. Red arrows in South Korea and Australia as well. Markets in Hong Kong, they are closed today. The mainland Chinese stocks, they actually ended up. China's April trade data came in better than expected. Remember, the Chinese government kind of going the opposite way of everyone in the world they're actually starting to stimulate their economy. Of course, they've had these COVID lockdowns. The rest of the world has not done. That's Asia. Why don't we find out what is happening in the early European trade? Juliana Tatelbaum joining us live from our London newsroom with a lot more red on the screen as well. Juliana.
2: Brian, good morning. Well, if you were looking for some calm after last week's storm, you will be disappointed. European equity markets are continuing lower this morning and some pretty sizable selling. We're off more than 1% in France. We were off nearly 1% in Germany just moments ago, now down about 9 tenths of a percent, 1.1% lower for the Italian market. Here in the UK, further losses as well. The FTSE 100 down about 0.9%. So clearly, there are still a lot of jitters in markets. digesting that trade data that you mentioned, Brian, out of China overnight. Also keeping a very close eye on the Russian war in Ukraine today as President Putin in Moscow commemorates Victory Day. So all eyes on him and whether we will see any further escalation in the war in Ukraine. From a sector perspective, this is what the split looks like this morning. The only sector in the green, the defensive utility sector. And there we're up about four basis points. On the downside, very heavy selling in basic resources, travel, leisure and technology with the tech index here in Europe hitting its lowest level since 2020. And fixed income markets are also seeing a lot of action. Uh, Last week, the big move was seen in German bunds. We had the 10-year German bund yield cross the 1% mark for the first time since 2015. And as you can see here, we're still trading well above 1%. The German 10-year bund yield trading at 1.12%. So yields remain elevated here in Europe, much like you're seeing stateside, Brian.
1: All right, Juliana Tattelbaum in London. Juliana, thank you very much. All right, let's continue this market conversation now with the Dow on a six week losing streak and other indexes not far behind, and a lot of finger pointing by investors at the Federal Reserve for what is all happening right now. But is that fair? Gina Sanchez, CEO of Chantico Global and a CNBC contributor, happy to see her in person last week at the Milken Global Conference. Gina, uh, it's good to see you across the TV screen as well. Uh, is this. All oh, and by this, I mean the market's big drop in 2022. Is this all the Fed's doing or is it something else?
3: Um, well, I think it's, uh, it's, it's a little bit of, of something else. You know, I, you know, with the, we, we, we basically had a pandemic that just destroyed uh, supply chains um, and then a war with Ukraine that elevated oil prices. And I think most of what we're seeing right now is actually the effect of higher energy prices and food prices more than anything. And I think that's coming um, out of uh, sanctions with Russia uh, and just supply shortages that we have had that we were not able to, to, you know, to, to, to replenish um, before, before Russia invaded Ukraine. And so everything that we've seen coming out of inflation that has been forcing the Fed into this corner has been really about energy and food prices and not about real wage um, hikes. We have seen some, some wage inflation, um, but it just doesn't explain the majority of the picture. And if we look at inflation, it's all about energy.
1: Yeah, it, well, it is. And obviously we've been trying to sort of, sat, you know, ring that bell for a couple of years now in our reporting from the U.S. and around the world. Uh, but, you know, about 75 percent of the jump in energy and food prices, Gina, came before the invasion by Putin. Obviously, it accelerated a bit into the lead up as he amassed troops on the, on the border there. And people sort of speculated what he might do. But we had inflation well before anything happened in Ukraine. Did we not?
3: You are absolutely right, Brian. And much of that was really pandemic related labor shortages that led to um, commodities supply shortages. And those supply shortages put us into a really precarious situation. In fact, if you look at the peak of inflation expectations, they occurred before the beginning of the year. Um, They they actually occurred in late uh, 2021 when inflation expectations were actually at the highest. Um, Believe it or not, inflation surprises have been surprising lower and lower. They're still high and the numbers are still in absolute terms extremely high. Uh, But we have been trending down in terms of what is expected versus what we get.
1: Yeah. And I want to show I don't know if we have this chart ready. I was doing it over the weekend. We're basically looking at sort of the run up From when the Fed began and Congress, you know, fiscal and monetary stimulus, guys, thank you very much. From the pandemic lows back in March of 2022, and then, of course, we saw the fiscal and monetary stimulus, the S&P 500, it more than doubled. It's up 110% from the low to our recent high, Gina. We're down. I mean, I know it's painful right now, but we're only down 14% off that top. I mean, it feels like the Fed and Congress giveth. And maybe now they take it away. And that's a market that looks like it doesn't have a lot of support. What do you think is going to happen going forward? Could the Fed flip, get more dovish and try to protect the equity market?
3: Well, I don't think the Fed is going to try to protect the equity markets, but I think that the Fed could get some um, more evidence uh, of, of you know, softening inflation and softening demand. The thing about energy prices is energy prices, remember, they act as a tax on consumption. So they can only remain elevated for so long. And then like a parasite, it will kill its host. Uh, So so they will always come back down. And I think that if if wages um, stay put and and don't don't continue to accelerate, I think the Fed could actually have some room to maneuver um, by the fall.
1: Well, in the U.K., by the way, where they get in the U.K., your utility bill resets twice a year in April and in October. The head of one of the biggest utilities this morning came out and said expect maybe another thousand British pound jump in the utility bill at the October reset. We were talking about this in November last year. Not saying that's going to happen here to to that extent, Gina, but uh, energy prices this summer. I think a lot of people are going to have sticker shock, not just at the gas pump, because gas, by the way, is at record highs, but also electricity wise. So it sounds like you're saying that energy costs are gonna, no matter what else happens, may keep the Federal Reserve jumpy, for lack of a better term.
3: Absolutely, energy costs are going to cause a slowdown much faster than, than the Fed can do through rising interest rates and, and tightening lending standards. Um, energy costs are gonna cause people to absolutely step back um, and, and we just we haven't seen, you know, there's been so much pandemic uh, um, pent up demand, um, but that's been slowing. Add on to that excess prices. I mean, right now it costs more to buy. It costs more to fill my Jaguar right now than it costs to buy a barrel of oil, which is still sort of mind numbing to me every time I go to the gas pump. Um, and so, you know, th- that will, um, you know, continue to keep uh, to keep demand yeah. at bay and it's going to cause a, a quicker slowdown.
1: Yeah, well, having been out west, and I know it was a nicer area of LA, Gina, but seeing that $650 and $675 a gallon up on that screen for self serve, not by the freeway. Wow. Gina Sanchez might be trading that car in for, for a bird scooter sir, soon. Gina, great to have you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Have a terrific day. Appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. Oh, those scooters were everywhere, just kind of laying around on every street. All right, when we come back, we got a lot more to do. Uber's CEO telling his employees about a plan to address what he's calling a seismic shift in sentiment. And here's a hint. It involves cuts. But as we head to break, check out this morning's biggest pre-market S&P 500 movers. We are seeing red across the board on stock futures. And we are seeing some of the bigger names there down as well. We're back on Worldwide Exchange right after this. Good morning and welcome or welcome back, everybody, to Worldwide Exchange. Sorry to tell you right now, the futures right now, they are not bouncing back after Friday's drops. In fact, we are seeing losses across the board. Dow futures down 340, NASDAQ futures down 1.5%. And once again, it does look like that big cap technology names will take some of the biggest hit, the so-called FANG stocks, the Facebooks, Apple, Amazon, Netflix and others. They're all down about 1% to 2% right now. They matter, of course, so much because not only do they power many of the indexes, but are also the biggest stocks in so many macro market ETFs. When they move, when they go down, it's pretty hard for the rest of the market to go up. And they are down across the board right now. All right, let's get some of this morning's other top money headlines, including money losing Uber, getting ready to cut costs even more. Contessa Brewer is here with that and more of your top headlines right now. Contessa, good morning.
5: Brian, good morning to you. Uber's cutting back on spending. It's working to become a leaner business. CEO Dara Khosrowshahi emailed employees outlining plans to address what he calls a seismic shift in investor sentiment. He said Uber will slash spending on marketing and incentives. And he wrote, we will treat hiring as a privilege and be deliberate about when and where we add headcount. We will be even more hardcore about costs across the board. Shahi says Uber will now focus on achieving profitability based on free cash flow rather than adjusted EBITDA, a key earnings metric. Lockheed Martin plans to about double its production of Javelin anti-tank missiles. It's a key weapon in Ukraine's defense against Russia. Lockheed Martin, CEO, talked about ramping manufacturing in an interview yesterday. LMT shares are up 26 percent so far this year, significantly outperforming the S&P. And Facebook parent Meta will open its first physical store and showroom for VR headset technology today. It's located in Burlingham, California customers will be able to try on and purchase multiple products this reminds me brian remember brookstone when it had the massage chairs and you'd go in and you'd see people you know sort of getting pummeled to death and they looked like they were possessed and we're going to see the same thing now people putting on these headsets <laughs> and you know putting their arms out trying to feel around for them it's going to be an awesome experience and for free you can just go and watch the show
1: well, two things. That was the highlight of any mall trip, by the way, and it makes me think about the end of Silence of the Lambs, where Jodie Foster, Clarice Starling, was in the basement, and it was pitch black, and the guy had the, and she was reaching, kind of doing that thing, yes. although she had a loaded, yes, I think it was the, a 44 in her hand, but.
5: That is a real stretch from the image that Iowa had, but okay, I'm with you, buddy.
1: <laughs> yeah, but I'm twisted, and you're nice. Contessa Brewer, thank you very much. We'll see you in just a okay, bit. Brian. All right, still on deck here on Worldwide Exchange. Thank you. Are you looking to put a little bit of money to work as stock prices go down? Well, if you are ready to take the plunge, maybe biotech is the place to look after that index has been hammered. We have an analyst on just that coming up futures bonds and crypto they are all lower we'll give you a market update on this monday morning right after this short break stick around
4: today's big number 52.4 billion dollars that's how much credit was extended to american consumers last month according to a report by the federal reserve that's more than twice what analysts were expecting
2: At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time.
1: All right, good morning and welcome. or welcome back to Worldwide Exchange and good Monday morning. You better get yourself a strong coffee because it is looking like another tough day out there. We are seeing futures down across the board. Dow futures down more than 300 points. NASDAQ futures off. About 1.5% inside the Dow, Boeing, Apple, Microsoft, Salesforce.com. They are all down more than one5 to 2% each as well. We are seeing travelers unchanged, some of the insurance companies, utilities kind of being viewed as havens. But otherwise, pretty much everything else is being sold off. Salesforce down nearly 2%. But it is not just technology being sold off this year. Biotechnology, a pandemic winner through 2021, is getting hit hard this year. A big biotech ETF, the XBI, is down nearly 40% this year versus the broader market's 13% decline. So it's being sold well more than the S&P 500. And in fact, more than 20% of the NASDAQ biotech index's members are now trading for less value than the value of their cash. That is the most since record-keeping on this kind of thing began 20 years ago. Joining us now is Salim Syed, Managing Director and Head of Biotechnology Research at Mizuho Securities. Salim, good to have you on. I mean, that is an incredible stat. And I want our viewers, I know it's early, kind of you know, thinking about numbers and money. One out of every five companies that trades in the biotech sector publicly is trading for less value than simply the value of their cash. In other words, the market is placing zero dollars of value on their actual business. What is going on with biotech? Yeah, thanks for having me
0: on, Brian. Uh, so, look, you know, biotech obviously had a great run up in uh, 2020 with COVID, right? So there was a lot of a, much of a halo effect putting, put, being put onto the sector was viewed as the solution, you know, to to a lot of the problems we were seeing in the market at the time, right? It was seen as a solution to the, to the pandemic, right? Um, basically what essentially happened is companies, companies ended up getting funded very, very easily, right? So a lot of the crossover funds, uh, that, that folks talk about in the space, putting money to work, right? It was converting over to public very, very easily. And the market got really, really frothy really, really quickly, right? What we're seeing right now is essentially a reversal of that. And part of the reason why we're seeing that is, you know, a lot of these companies that, you know, had been put, had been made, converted to from private to public, right? We haven't seen that clinical data pan out yet. We haven't seen the MA in the space yet, right? And so, and so that, you know, on top of a, you know, a, a macro, a, a, a challenging macro environment with rising yeah. interest rates, you know, it's just been difficult for the sector.
1: Well, and listen, we love ETFs and index funds. They provide, you know, low cost sort of steady eddy investing, and we know that they can make you a lot of money over the long term. But that said, Salim, when people dump ETFs, they're going to often dump stocks, even if it's just sort of a synthetic relationship, that are in the ETF, and not all biotechs are created equal. Some are going to have amazing businesses and and hopefully defeat all kinds of nasty diseases. Others will go away. Are we kind of dumping out a lot of really good stocks just as a part of a broader market sell-off? I think we're, I think, so I think that we're going through that process right now trying to
0: figure out, you know, which stocks are are higher quality and deserve investor uh, capital and which stocks deserve to be weeded out in the process. I mean, right now we have about, you know, at the beginning of this year, there were probably about 800 or so biotechs publicly traded, right? If you only go back three years ago, we only had about half of that, right? About 400, maybe 500 companies, right? We're going now through that yep. weed out process, right? And, and so, you know, people often ask, like, are we are we sort of at the end of this? You know, it doesn't feel like we're at the end of this. I think we're going through that process, right? But at the same time, when you look at, you know, the index that you had mentioned, the XBI, right, it's, it's pretty close to those 2018 levels, right? But we haven't seen those companies get weeded out yet uh, from, you know, quality versus, you know, the lesser quality companies,
1: well, that, Salim, I believe, is your job as an analyst to go through all those companies that you cover and find out the good companies that are being sold off rather unfairly. And you believe, at least based on your your, your ratings and your targets, that Gilead Sciences may be one of those names. How come?
0: Well, look, Gilead, you know, we, we like Gilead. We don't love Gilead on a relative basis versus the other large caps that we follow Gilead is one that actually trades close to our DCF values. It's currently, uh, you know, in the in the on the free cash flow yield basis, you know, best in class on a dividend yield, also somewhere in that ballpark, best in class. Uh, And so, and so, we like it primarily on a valuation basis. It's hard for me to really pinpoint what that catalyst is going to be to get that stock really going. It's still trading, you know, at around these sixty dollars levels, which is where it was, you know, five years ago, right? Uh, but we like it on a valuation basis. That's, that's, that's why we're bi rated on it.
1: Is there, is there a company, quickly, Salim, that you do love? You like Gilead. Do you love anyone? Look, I, I, we, we tend to love some of
0: the Smith caps that we cover, right? So, so, you know, one that we're very constructive long on right now is cytokinetics. Uh, they have a drug for a cardiovascular disease. The company is currently traced for about $3.5 billion market cap. There was this very similar company called Myocardia that was taken out for $13 billion by Bristol-Myers Squibb not too long ago, uh, we, and we think the cytokinetics asset uh, is equal or better than that uh, and ultimately could get taken out. But the clinical data that we've seen thus far uh, seems to support a uh, valuation that could be uh, much higher than where it's currently trading.
1: Salim Syed, we're watching Gilead. We're going to watch Cyberkinetics as well. Thank you very much for joining us on Biotech's Big Drop. Salim, have a great day. Thank you. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, get ready to pay more at the pump. What gasoline prices are doing that may shock you, even with the big SPR release beginning this week. And a gentle reminder, if you haven't already, be sure to follow our podcast. you miss the show any day, no worries. We get it. Check it out later on your convenience. Walk around the kitchen, wearing the headphones, ignoring the kids. I do it. Dow futures down. NASDAQ down. We're back right after this. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Let's get right now to your Monday morning money, because there is a lot of nervousness still out there. Stocks keep taking hits, and it looks like, unfortunately, some of the selling that we saw at the end of last week is going to follow through today. We are seeing stock futures down across the board. Dow futures down more than 300 on a percentage basis. All are down over 1%. The NASDAQ futures down about 1.5% right now. Big catalyst this week as earnings kind of start to roll off will no doubt be a lot of talk from Federal Reserve officials. And investors like you will be listening for any clues about possible changes to the Fed's aggressive rate hike strategy all that coming off some big drops in stocks late last week, where the NASDAQ ended the week down 1.5%. All this as bond yields surge to multi-year highs. In fact, the 10-year yield going up again right now. It is nearly at 3.2%. And with that move in bonds, we're also seeing a spike in mortgage rates. The average 30-year fixed-rate mortgage now at 5.27%, according to Fannie Mae. And that is the highest level. In 13 years, you got to go all the way back till 2009 to find a mortgage rate on average higher than that. We are seeing oil down a little bit right now, but not by much off about a buck a barrel to 108 and change. But natural gas, that has been really almost more of the story. And natural gas continue to rise at eight dollars and 18 cents per MBTU. You care because as the weather begins to warm up and you start to think about cranking that air conditioning in your home, Remember, natural gas prices, utility costs, energy costs, if you're not on a fixed rate plan, which, by the way, will adjust higher, it's not going to stay low forever, could maybe, I don't know, go up 50% this summer from last year. It's not out of the question. Certainly just another major inflationary force. Well, speaking of gas, why do we talk about gasoline? Because here's some news you may not know. Even though oil prices, while high, Oil is still down from its March high. Remember, it hit 129 But the price of wholesale gasoline is now at a new record. Not getting a lot of attention because of what's happening in the stock market. But wholesale gas futures are under, just under $3.80 per gallon. That is higher than they were in March. It's because of kind of a tough combination of surging demand, lower supplies, particularly here on the East Coast and concern about the lack of some ingredients needed for refining. So, sorry to say, the prices at the gasoline pump are likely to go only higher from here. But by the way, it has been a great run recently for some of the refining stocks. Look at these year-to-date returns. You got one of the biggest out there, Valero VLO, up 72%. Delec, up 86%. And PBF Energy is up 140%. This year, it is more than doubled. PBF is a New Jersey-based company, believe it or not, all the way out there in Parsippany. But they have six refineries, including one of only two that are operating in the state of New Jersey, because the East Coast has had a real shortage of refineries. And that explosion of that Philadelphia refinery in 2019, just reducing output. PBF up 140% since January 1st. In fact, as you know, energy is really about the only thing that has been working consistently in the stock market this year. And the sector is up nearly 50% to begin 2022. It is just one of two in the S&P that are above water. Utilities, I mean, they're up less than 1%, but at least they're not down 10%. Let's talk more about the energy sector and maybe get more into the refiners and some of the big cap oil names. Joining us now is Baraj Bokateria, analyst and co-head of European research at RBC Capital Markets. And uh, Baraj, good to see you. Last time we met was live and in person uh, in your office in London in November. So good to have you on the program. Uh, You just heard me talk about some of the smaller independent refiners in the United States. Obviously, Exxon, Chevron, they do refining as well. Are there any names either in the U.S. or globally that stand out even more to you right now?
6: yeah thanks for thanks for having me so i think this this global refining uh rally it, it as i say it's really a global phenomenon you're seeing it across regions um exxon is is highly uh exposed to this it's it's the biggest refiner of the of the super majors four and a half million barrels a day of refining capacity and they will definitely benefit BP will also benefit as will shell and total to a lesser extent chevron they tend to have been more upstream weighted but um a number of these companies will benefit and they'll drive earnings upgrades.
1: Yeah, I don't want to get into politics, barrage, and I, I know kind of what's happening here. Here, there's this big debate about the oil companies, the idea that as oil prices go up, they automatically just start printing money. And we know that earnings are well up from 2020 and 2021 because those are miserable years, oil briefly going negative. But can you clear it up for us just generally when the price of oil goes up, does that necessarily fall to the bottom line of many of the biggest names, or do they? Because a lot of them have to buy it as well. Do their margins stay relatively similar? Tell us how it works.
6: So, if you think about the the upstream, um, some of your costs will be also linked to commodities, which are going up. So you'll see some offset there, and obviously you'll have a, a higher tax bill to pay usually. Um, so some of it will flow to the bottom line. If you think about the downstream and refining. Oil is actually an input, and that's one of the somewhat surprising things of what we're seeing now is refining margins are going up despite the oil prices are going up. And that's just telling you that the market's extremely tight. It's incentivizing refiners to run as hard as possible. um, And despite the oil price increase, your margins are still going up.
1: Yeah, we know that you recently upgraded Exxon. I mean, we, we forget. I know it's early 2022, but back yeah, 18 months, 24 months ago, Exxon was talking about cutting its dividend. It was talking about major cost cuts, capital spending. It collapsed. Everybody was talking about sort of the end of oil. I mean, that was less than two years ago. You've recently upgraded Exxon Mobil. How surprised are you? Or how surprised should we be about this change in what has happened for these big oil companies?
6: Yeah, a lot has happened in the last uh, two years. I also shouldn't forget that there's there's an ongoing war uh, with Russia and Ukraine. So that's obviously stoked the geopolitical uh, fire and and raised commodity prices as well. Um, But when you think about Exxon, they've really stuck to the plan. And that plan actually took them to the the brink of a dividend cut in 2020, I would argue. Um, and then the commodity price rally has helped them in 21. And in 2022, actually, uh, things changed again. So you have this big rally in refining margins. And the other key thing with Exxon is they've actually invested in the upstream through the downturn in recent years. And they end up with a project like uh, Lisa and Guyana, which has a lot of running room. And it's actually a, an asset which we would yep. argue is a crap and something that other companies don't have.
1: Is there any company besides Exxon you like, Barrage? quickly?
6: The Shell's are top pick among the majors so we remain constructive on the LNG market, and it still trades at a discount to many of its global peers.
1: Barraj Bokateria of RBC Capital, Markets. Barrage, Great to have you on the program. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right, coming up, mortgage rates jumping to their highest level in 13 years. Diana Ollick coming up next on what this could all mean for the real estate market. Stick around. All right, welcome or welcome back and good Monday morning, everybody. If I told you to go back to bed, I doubt you'd listen to me. But given the futures, you might want to because Dow futures are now down more than 400 points, nearly 2% drop there as well. We are seeing NASDAQ futures down once again the most, so down 1.7%. So Dow futures off one and a quarter, S&P one and a half, and big tech looks to be, the uh, again, the hardest hit sector. At least today, it's early. Things can change But Nasdaq futures down 1.7 percent. That would come off a one and a half percent drop last week. Well, it is not just gasoline, food and macro energy prices that have been on the rise lately. If you want to buy a home, you're likely going to have to pay more, maybe a lot more, because mortgage rates are now at the highest level in well over a decade. And as many say, may not come at a worse time. Diana Olick joining us now with some of these numbers. And, you know, Diana, the bond markets moved quick and, Mortgage rates have moved quickly with them.
7: Absolutely, Brian. Look, rates took a sizable jump higher at the end of last week, basically adding insult to injury in the heart of the spring market. The average rate on the 30-year fixed hit 5.64 percent on Friday. That's just over two and a half full percentage points higher than it was just a year ago, as in we were in the very low 3 percent range last year. Now, mortgage rates loosely follow the yield on the 10-year Treasury, which, of course, spiked to the highest level in over a decade last week. But rates are also taking hit from the Fed unloading its balance sheet of mortgage-backed bonds. That's what kept rates hitting more than a dozen record lows in the first year of the pandemic when they were buying into MBS. Low rates fueled the crazy high home prices we have this spring. Home prices, get this, are 34% higher than they were at the start of the pandemic just two years ago. And they keep moving higher due to high demand and low supply. That has increased the monthly mortgage payment for the average home by about. since the start of the pandemic. We are now seeing sales start to fall and reports anecdotally from realtors I know on the ground that bidding wars are cooling off as well. Prices usually lag sales by about six months. So this summer, Brian, it should be pretty telling, potentially a little ugly.
1: Well, yeah, and I, I guess the big question, I don't know if you know the answer, Diana, you as well as anybody is, are prices going to come down? People don't buy homes based on the prices. We know they, they buy them based on the monthly payment. So if rates go up, that's OK, as long as prices come down enough where that monthly payment may be roughly the same. Is there any indication that prices and thus that that all important monthly payment are also going to come down?
7: Uh, The short answer is probably not. Um, Here's what happens is usually prices lag sales by six months. So you have four to five months of sales coming down already. You start to see prices cool. But when we say prices will cool, I'm not saying prices are going to come down. I'm saying the 15 to 20 to even in some markets 30 percent annual price gains that we're seeing now will shrink to maybe 6% gains from a year ago or 4% gains from a year ago. Something more you know, palatable, normal, historical, not these crazy gains. Will they come down? I doubt it very seriously. And that, again, is because there's nothing on the market and there's still this very strong millennial demand. And so you do get competition in the market. But again, just shrinking the gains, not actually pulling back the prices.
1: Are they tightening mortgage lending? I mean... Is it harder to get a mortgage today than six months ago? Um,
7: I would say no. And that's because you have so much more competition now among the lenders. Look, lenders are bleeding because there's no refis right now. We had refis at one point. We're between 60 and 70 percent of the mortgage market at the start of the pandemic. Um, That was huge for lenders. They were making record profit. Now, all of that business has fallen off. You're seeing a 70 percent drop in mortgage applications to refinance. So how are they going to make that up? They're certainly not going to tighten lending for purchasers. They're going to, you know, perhaps even loosen a little bit. Not a lot. I'm not saying a lot. But they are going to want that business. And how are they going to get that business? They're only going to get it from home buyers because there is a very small pool now of people who could benefit from a refinance. We all refied in the last two years, right? Because we had rates in the 2% range.
1: I think I saw a stat. Correct me if I'm wrong, Diana. Like 90% of mortgages are under 4 or 4.5%. Four I mean, no way of refining. Yeah. Nope. Zero.
7: Exactly. Unless you need to do a cash out, unless you need, you know, and remember, people have a lot of equity in their homes right now, record amount of equity. So there are people who are going to want to pull yeah. some of that equity out. Are they going to want to refi to a higher rate or are they going to want to take out a second, maybe home equity line? I would say the second option. But yeah. there will be some people who do cash out refis, but nothing like we saw in the refi market over the last two years.
1: Yeah. Don't cash out refi and then put all the money into game stock on leverage. <laughs> Diana Olick, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Sure. Yeah. All right. Time now for your morning RBI. It's back. And today let's get random but interesting on some good news in the stock market. Yes, we said good news because as bad as it's been, there's actually been a lot of stocks that have been making people money. And hey, it's It's early, it's Monday, futures are down, nobody wants all doom and gloom. So let's try to roll out and end out the show with a little positivity. So we dug in over the weekend and found some stocks have been doing great this month, even as the overall markets stink it up. And they are not all oil and gas. In fact, plenty of names and their past performance in the past 30 days that have done great, you may not know. Here we go. Software company, EPAM Systems. Up 25% in the past 30 days. Western Digital, the hard drive maker, up 24% in a month. Mohawk Industries, we just talked housing, they make carpet. That stock's up 21%. Bath and Body Works, up 16% in a month. Got a used car, maybe you need parts. Used car part company, LKQ, like kind and quality, rising 14%. Campbell Soup, looking tasty. It's up 10% in a month. And... We eat, so we all need toilet paper, right? Well, Kimberly Clark is up 9%. And those are just a few stocks. There are actually many more. In fact, this is the part I hope you'll find really random but interesting. In the past month, 123 stocks in the S&P 500 are higher. That is nearly 25% of the index. Up. Now, given all the huge drops and the nasty headlines and all the fang stocks getting whacked, we know that's hard to believe. But it's true. And it's actually been a better year than you might think because we'll end with another surprising little nugget for you. Even as the S&P 500 has dropped 13.5% this year, 139 of its members, at least (laughs) as of now, that could change today, have stocks that are higher. 139 stocks in the index? are actually up this year. The point is this, index funds and ETFs are great, but in years like this, it may be single stock owners who come out on top. As our friend and colleague Jim Cramer likes to say, it's not so much a stock market as a market of stocks. Happy 2022, at least as of this morning, maybe a little bit better than you think. Random, but interesting. All right, up next, some real-world advice on what to do right now from one of America's top financial advisors. And during May, we are celebrating Asian-American and Pacific Islander heritage, and featuring some of our CNBC teammates and contributors, your CBC Closing Bell producer, Crystal Lau.
3: My best advice for the Asian-American community is to speak up. Growing up, my parents taught me and my sisters not to be the squeaky wheel. But what we've learned over the years is how important it is to find our voice and to be the voice for others. Speaking out against injustices in our community and advocating for yourself at work, whether it's during a contract negotiation or making sure your opinions are heard. To the future generation, speak up.
1: All right. Welcome or welcome back, everybody. Let's get now to the markets and your money. And we are seeing stock futures down big across the board. Dow futures down about 400 points. NASDAQ off one and a half percent. The Dow coming off at six down week in a row. The NASDAQ down five with another one and a half percent drop last week. And things may get worse before they get better. According to many market handicappers and the strategists, if the S&P 500 bakes below 4,100, as CNBC's market commentator Mike Santoli points out, we could fall another five to eight percent from there. In other words, a technical destruction that could then send the market down another leg. But all this does not mean it is time to cash out and just sit on the sidelines afraid. Rose Advisors at Hightower, Managing Director Patrick Frusetti says there are still a few places to put your money to work. Patrick, it's good to have you back on. You're one of the top ranked advisors in America. We need that advice. You got a lot of nervous people out there right now. What is your best advice?
8: Well, look, so long as interest rates are moving up, the market's going to continue to experience a lot of indigestion. I mean, we've had four straight weeks of outflows in global and U.S. equity markets. Um, But the interesting thing, and you brought this up in your last segment, there's 139 stocks this year that are positive out of the S&P 500. That means there's some rotation going on in the market. There's a change in leadership. But from a relative standpoint, interest rates seem to be going up every day. And that old narrative, Tina, there is no alternative. Well, when the three-year Treasury is at nearing 3%, there actually is an alternative. So investors are looking um, out, you know, away from the equity market as we speak. Uh, but within the equity market, there are definitely still some opportunities.
1: Okay, and uh, now in those 139, and by the way, Patrick, it's because we're on in the early morning, I didn't want my viewers and listeners to cry themselves back to sleep or on their way to work. Had to show a little bit of good news. About half of those are oil and gas. Are you recommending oil and gas names now, even with some of the big gains that many have had?
8: Yeah, I still think you want to have exposure to energy because there's there's a huge subset of investors out there that have no exposure to this sector. Um, I think it's under-owned. I still think you should own the majors. I still like energy infrastructure. You know, a company like Enterprise Product Partners, you know, there's still global demand for NGLs. Um, they're going to benefit from the export market uh, demand. I think that's definitely a very positive and yield-producing play that you can still invest in. Um, and so energy is, is still should be a, a focal point for people. Um, it, it really hasn't been for years. I think there, you know, we're going to see this secular trend continue. Um, and then, you know, also I think just commodities in general. Um, when you look at precious metals, I think that's a great way to to help hedge the portfolio and hedge what we think will ultimately yeah. be future debasement of the dollar.
1: Are you suggesting, and dare I say it, does it roll off my tongue? Just buying gold. Patrick, I thought it was all about Bitcoin and the metaverse.
8: Well, yeah, I mean, come on, you know, I think owning gold uh, makes a lot of sense in this market. I mean, it's, again under when you look institutionally, you know, compared to say 40 years ago. Um, it's still very underowned by retail and institutional investors. Yes, I'm saying just own some, some raw gold, even if it's physical gold. But, you know, there are plenty of financial instruments out there that you can get real exposure uh, to gold. And, and I think you can trust that exposure
1: buying gold, buying some oil and gas and energy, some yeah. practical real-world advice in a time where we could use a steady hand. And Patrick, we appreciate yours. Have a great day. Thanks for kicking off the week for yeah. us, Patrick. Take care. All right, folks, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. We'll be back in 23 hours with more market coverage. Could be another tough day. Futures down across the board. Cryptos down. Bond yields, they are up as well. At oil, still above 108. There's a lot more to do on the network all day. We'll see you tomorrow. Squawk Box is next. Take care. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC.
4: People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation.